And last week, Chris was covering verses 1 to 11. And really, that was looking at the historical facts behind the resurrection of Christ. Um, and that wasn't last week, was it? it was two weeks ago. And uh, he was looking at the foundations for those historical facts, the fact that five, over 500 people witnessed Christ after he was risen from the dead. And um, this week, verses 12 to 34, we are going to be looking at Paul's argument here as he moves on to look at the consequence, actually, if there was no resurrection. That's what he chooses to do here. Um, So we're going to read it. I'm actually going to read 12 to 19, and then we're going to skip 29 to 32. uh, Sorry, to 34. Okay, so we're going to skip out just to the middle section. I'm just going to come back to that at the end. So I'll read it. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has uh, not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, all, we are of all people most to be pitied. Verse 29. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts and Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. So this um, argument that he's doing is quite complex, actually, some of it. It looks quite complex. There's a lot of raised from the dead, not raised from the dead, if this, if that, if not. Really, I'm just going to very briefly touch on five things in this passage um, where Paul directs the consequences of not being raised from the dead, of Jesus not being raised from the dead, of us not being raised from the dead. And um, just to help us to think about this in Paul's argument, I am... I enjoy looking at conspiracy theories. I love films about conspiracy theories. Who likes, who likes those? I knew Nick would like it, you know, something about that. And um, there are loads of them out there, aren't they? But one of the most interesting conspiracy theories out there is the landing on the moon. And um, there's lots of conspiracy theories about whether this is fake or not. And there's all sorts of reasons and arguments why people think it's fake. So if you look at this picture here, you can see all the footprints. And yet when you look under the shuttle, there doesn't seem to be any dust that's unsettled. Actually, when it's coming down, the force of those jets should have created some sort of crater going on. Um, Even if you see in this top left-hand corner, they they think those could potentially be studio lights going on there. Um, There's all sorts of reasons why people think it's fake. Another big reason is this. They, um, they tested out Galileo's theory. So they dropped a feather and 
a hammer, and because of the lack of gravity, they dropped at the same rate. And obviously, there's, they just dropped, the feather dropped. And it's because there's no wind. And so you've got this flag here, which seems to be flapping in the wind. So the conspiracists say, look, obviously it's fake. The flag is flapping in the wind. And there's loads of arguments out there as to um, all sorts of shadows and lights and the people. So when you look in the reflection of the astronaut's visor, you can see sets reflecting in them if you look closely with the technology that we now have. Um, there you go. I've opened up the topic on <laughs> is the moon landing fake? That's going to get some of you thinking, isn't it? And... Um, I guess one of the questions we then need to ask is, what, what consequence does that have for us if it really was, in fact, a big cover-up? What implications does it have? Well, there was this piece of moon rock, remember? That came, they brought it back with them. And I guess it has a, has a consequence on all the geologists who've been studying this rock for the last 40 years. It's a fake. It also means that thousands of people at NASA have been involved in a massive cover-up. Thousands. It means $40 billion of the American money has gone missing somewhere on making this set. And I don't believe it's fake, obviously. There are lots of people there who will tell you that it is. And um, Paul's arguing something here that is far more concrete on whether or not this was fake or not. He's arguing on the resurrection, okay? And I guess he's addressing the Corinthian church with this sort of argument. They might be looking at it thinking it's a sort of conspiracy theory. And it's almost like he's saying in this passage, let's assume you're right then. Let's assume that we are not resurrected, Jesus is not resurrected. Let's look at the consequences of what that means for us as God's people. And so he looks at five of these. So we're just going to look through them. So verses 12 and 13, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. This is an argument that he's using, a slightly circular argument that he uses. And he's not actually trying to persuade us in this passage because he's already done it in verses 1 to 11. This isn't trying to persuade us of Christ's resurrection, actually. This is all about, actually what he, he believes probably is that the Corinthian church believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. But they don't believe, there's, they believe there's some sort of spiritual element and they don't believe they're going to be raised from the dead. Their resurrection is really what they're questioning here. And so he uses this argument on them, essentially saying, well, if you don't believe you're going to be raised from the dead, then that means Jesus was never raised from the dead. Everything that he did proves false. Essentially, they believe in that when you die, you go into the ground and you rot. And Paul's first argument here is essentially that it means Christ didn't rise from the dead. Now, I had a clip here, but unfortunately, we're not working with our version of uh, PowerPoint. And this was a clip of one of my favorite films. It's my, my two-year-old son's favorite film, Cars. And like the McQueen, who is the main character, he, he races this race and three cars all come in on the finish line and they're waiting for this photo finish to find out who has actually won this race. And he goes up to one of the guys and he says, and all the press are around, and he goes, shut up, Thunder. And he goes, what's, what's the Thunder comment about? And he goes, because Thunder always comes after lightning. That was going to be the clip. 
okay? And um, I guess we all know, don't we, just between that two and seven seconds after lightning strikes, thunder will follow. Yeah, and that's what he's having a go at here. Um, and his argument here is essentially the same as this, okay? Paul's argument is essentially saying, if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, if you believe in the lightning, then the thunder will follow, okay? It has to. It always comes after it. Lightning produces thunder. And if you don't believe in thunder or your resurrection from the dead, then you can't believe in lightning, Jesus' resurrection. But because Jesus was raised, that is the lightning, you'll definitely be raised. This is a natural consequence. Because he has conquered sin and death, and we are in him, we also conquer death. Essentially what it means for us is we're living between the flash of lightning and the clap of thunder. That's where we are right now on planet Earth. So Paul is making his first argument that if we truly believe Jesus was raised from the dead, then we too, this is an inevitable consequence of the lightning. It's a chain reaction. And I had this other great video here, which was a big minion dominoes. I don't know if you've seen these clips now on YouTube, but like thousands and thousands of, of dominoes. And although the dominoes are going down, it was an analogy of actually Jesus is that first being raised up from the dead. And actually the consequences, all of these dominoes go down, don't they? Thousands. And it just, it's just this amazing setup. And actually it's the same for us as we think about it. Jesus is being raised from the dead. The inevitable consequence is that we are going to be raised from the dead one day. Okay? It's this cause and effect. Okay? Secondly then, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. I didn't want to pick up on Matt's preaching today, but no. <laughs> If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Our preaching, our proclamation of truth, the way that we live our lives for him, is all being useless. That's what Paul's saying in this point. And I guess I've got a question for you. If you died and you found out that God is a fake, it's not true. Would you have been glad to have lived the life that you've lived as a Christian anyway? Have you thought through that question? Would you have been glad to have lived that life? And I, honestly, as I look at Paul here in his responses to the resurrection, I think he'd honestly say no. I wouldn't have been glad to have lived that life. Essentially, if Christ was not resurrected, essentially our lives have been a total waste of time or in vain, as some versions put it. And I think... When it comes to looking at doctrines within the Bible, I think some of us have a slight misunderstanding at times, especially on this one. And I think when it comes to the resurrection, um, we can decide when it comes to doctrines, some things that we look at and we think, well, I think this one's okay. I think this one's semi-important. But I wanted to, uh, John, I wanted to just give you a little example of this one. When we're looking at the resurrection, 
I've asked him to come and play the keys because I don't. I think sometimes, is it on? Are we on? Sorry, guy, I'm just throwing another mix to this. <laughs> I think sometimes people look at the resurrection of Christ and think, well, it's, a, it's an F sharp. You know, actually, we can, we can sort of live without it and you can play a tune without F sharp in it. There's a tune there. And I think for some of you, you might look at it and go, actually, no, it's more important than the F sharp. It's maybe a middle C. You can play a tune still with a middle C, without a middle C, yeah? Actually, Paul goes further still when he's looking at this second point. And he said, the resurrection isn't an F sharp or a C. The resurrection, is that the power chord? No, is this the power chord? That's the power chord. Off you go. The resurrection of Christ is the power chord to the Christian faith. So while John's trying to sit and play music there, it's all in vain. We can't hear a thing. It's totally useless. Well done, John. Give him a round of applause. There is nothing left of the Christian faith when you take away the resurrection. There's nothing And we can't just look at it and say, well, if we didn't have this, it would still be okay. Well, I've still got a bit of a relationship with Yahweh. It must be okay. No, Paul essentially says the resurrection is absolutely essential to our faith. Absolutely essential. Without it, there is nothing. You can't work around this fact. There's nothing left if we take away the resurrection of Christ. It's all useless. I've got a fish flying into a, a bear's mouth edge to say it's useless. All our faith is useless. We're just it's a waste of time. <laughs> don't, I don't know why I went for that, but I did. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Next. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. I pity the fool. <laughs> there he is, the Abarakis. He used to watch that growing up Saturday, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. The A-team was excellent, wasn't it? If Christ was not resurrected, and this is all that there is, this life on earth that we have, this is all that we can actually hope for, then Paul says as Christians, we are the most pitiful people in the world. We're the most pitiful people in the world. Who is the most pitiful person that you know? If it's someone sitting next to you, please don't tell them. <laughs> the question I asked earlier about how you would view your life if you found out there was no God is one that we hear some interesting responses from in Christendom. And lots of people would actually probably tell you, yes, I think I would still like to have lived the life that I've lived. And there's something rather stubborn and probably a little bit pride that says, yes, I, I think I would. And um, others would actually argue that life and faith and spirituality, well, they bring all sorts of blessings, don't they? People would even argue it brings material possessions. We've got health and wealth teaching out there, haven't we? Um, people would suggest in surveys that having a faith brings increased standards of living. And it's generally spun in a positive light. In fact, having a faith brings a longer life expectancy. That's another one that a survey suggests having a faith does. But I think Paul's answer 
as I've mentioned already, to, you know, would he have been pleased to have lived this life if he knew there was no God? Would, and we can see it from the passage, is a resounding no. If Christ was not resurrected, that means we are the most pitiful people that we know. And being a Christian for Paul meant shipwreck. It meant beatings and stonings. And he spent his time and his money traveling around to serve many cities with the gospel, didn't he? He was put in prison cells on numerous occasions. His friends betrayed him. He had much time debating scholars and um, at the same time trying to hold down a few jobs just to bring in enough to continue to be able to live. And, you know, the Christian life is not one that we choose because at its core, its moral beliefs are going to benefit us. It's not why we choose it. We don't think, oh, you know what? It's going to make me far better off from a financial perspective. It's a selfish, sacrificial life that we live. It's full of sacrifice and, and ridicule from work colleagues. It actually means not choosing your friends. Here we are as a family, a community, all in Christ. We don't just have our two or three friends that we hang out with every weekend. There's sacrifice involved in that because we're a family. And we bring everybody in. It means we're open to giving away as God speaks our savings. It means tough decisions regarding our children or not giving them the things that the world says we should give them. It means refusing to look elsewhere every time or if your marriage is in difficulty or struggling. It means refusing to, to lie or gain a promotion, to, to gain that promotion. It means refusing to stab people in the back for self-gain. These are all costs of living and walking a life for God. One of the guys I read who was just so impressed was his brother Yun. I don't know if anyone's read The Heavenly Man. So here's this guy, and he's living in China, and the sacrifices that he has to make, you see him put in prison numerous times. He ended up fasting 74 days, um, which is humanly impossible, and yet God gave him the grace to manage that. He was often had the government coming in to torture him, repeatedly bought, um, tortured, beaten, um, tortured with electric batons. He was kicked. He was trampled. He had needles jabbed underneath his fingernails as a form of torture. And I think it was on his third uh, stint in prison. He was in a maximum security prison. And they realized this guy, they wanted to keep him in. So they beat his legs to cripple him permanently. And they would come every day and they would beat up his legs to stop him from being able to walk. And um, get this amazing story of God actually healing him. And he's walk, just walks out of this maximum security prison. And I think, honestly, as we live in the West... We often forget the sacrifice sometimes and the hardship that people face as they choose to follow Christ. It's not an easy walk. And I think that's why Paul here, he says, you can't be more pitiful than a Christian who has given up everything to be wrong. You've given up everything to be wrong. That's what life is without the resurrection. What is it then that sustains us? When we go through suffering like Brother Yun, 
when we go through that financial hardship, when we go through those times as a family where there's, there's physical difficulties and ailments, what is it when we are called to love our enemies, those who are persecuting, those who are ridiculing us? What is it that sustains us? And for Paul, we know it was the hope of the future resurrection that he had. Romans 8 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Just the glory to be revealed that kept him going. It wasn't worth comparing. Everything that we have on this earth, the comfort that we have, the sufferings that we have, are not worth comparing to the eternal glory to come. And Paul lived with the reality of this fact. And I have to be honest, it's challenging as you look at it. His perspective and his faith in his own resurrection, his future hope, was what kept the Apostle Paul going. And it's why, actually, when I think about the stories that he's involved in, he was almost stoned to death. That's what he said. He was within an inch of his life. And yet he was able to overcome fear and to keep going. And I grew up in Biker. We I Biker Grove, you know. I can do a Geordie accent. I was in Biker for, for 16 years of my life, and I was in Newcastle for 19. And um, it was a rough place. It was the second roughest estate in the whole of Newcastle. And um, I was just talking to my mother about it the other day. Every time we went out as kids, I'm talking about teenagers really, we'd travel up to the, to the metro station, and you'd get a gang of kids who would want to take your money off you almost every time. So you'd figure out different routes to travel up to the metro station where they wouldn't be. And um, I know, I know um, getting into quite a few scuffles. I remember one time getting fairly badly beaten up uh, in Biker by a group of kids, probably about 10 kids. And two of my older brothers had the same happen to them. My brother-in-law had the same happen to him. And um, it, was a, it was a tough place to be. And I think, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you've been really threatened. You know, it might even be that you've been in a car crash, but the fear of getting back into the car or heading back out onto the street and possibly seeing these people again is immense. There's something in you of, man, I, I don't want to go outside. I don't, I don't want to get back in that car. I'm scared. And yet for Paul, he was constantly beaten. And I think about this stoning, that he came with an inch of his life being stoned, and, and yet, actually, we read straight after that, he went into another place to preach the gospel again. And so this faith that he has in his resurrection of how that gives him that absolute confidence and faith to keep going is, is phenomenal. And we have to ask for ourselves, what are our foundations? Are we founded on that type of faith in Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection? Because if we're not, I think we could end up in some trouble. That's what this point tells us. Four. Now, if there's no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized? What will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? This is a strange one, isn't it? So this was something going on in the Corinthian church, and it does look strange. It's a little confusing, and um, it's not totally clear, actually, what was going on here. We have to make some presumptions. I think, really, it reminds me, there was something going on in the church there. It reminds me a little bit of something that was going on 
uh, around Martin Luther's time as he addressed in his 95 Theses back, um, back in 1517. The Catholic Church was telling people that they actually needed to pay money to the church for the dead so that they would get through purgatory. Okay? So people, the poor people were paying a lot of money for their dead ones actually to get them through purgatory um, so that they wouldn't suffer. And um, there was something going on here in the Corinthian church where actually people were dying and um, people were bat- baptizing themselves for the dead person. It was almost like they were saying, oh, well, that person wasn't baptized, so I'm going to baptize myself just to make their path okay. Um, and it's an interesting one, isn't it? And this is what most people would say they think was going on. But we actually can't influence somebody else's destiny in that sense. They have to make that personal um, faith themselves, don't they? They have to personally have that relationship. And um, essentially, Paul here simply rebukes it and tells them to stop doing it. But um, this is not something that they should be doing. He's addressing it, saying, why are you doing this if actually you're not raised from the dead? Why are you even bothering to get baptized? So that's, that's fourth. That's just a little one to put down there. Finally, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And it's actually a quote from a pagan poem that Paul uses. And um, he's essentially saying, if there's no resurrection, guys, then just maximize all the pleasures that you want in your life right now. You've got this live life to the max. Every experience that we find pleasurable we should be doing to the absolute max. Live life. That's what he's saying. It's a bit shocking, isn't it? Paul's turning around and saying, if there is no resurrection, ah, and it's just this life, do everything you can. That brings you pleasure. If this is all there is on this earth, then don't waste your life. If all of those things that we see the world doing, that actually we have some of the same um, desires to do, sleeping around with others, drinking in excess, taking drugs, worldly comfort, success in our jobs. Those are the things that we actually should be going for. If they're the things that bring us pleasure and delight, go do it. If there was no resurrection, don't worry about marital faithfulness. Don't worry about being kind to others. Don't worry about the poor or the asylum seekers in your city. Look after number one and your desires. And you know, this is actually how many of the world live, isn't it? And, and, and as Paul says here, probably quite rightly, because they don't believe in anything great or anything else that should require them to stop and think again. Live life to the max. If there's no resurrection, go enjoy yourself. Live life to the max. Live for yourself. This is his argument. There's five arguments through this passage. And I just want to touch now on verse 20. We haven't covered this. This is the punchline of the whole passage. Verse 20 But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. 
funny, Rachel brought this word this morning, didn't she, about um, the gift, this anxiety that we feel. This anxiety over what's the result of the match going to be. And yet there is a certainty that we have here because we know what has happened. We know the end game. We know that Jesus has risen, has been resurrected once and for all. It's finished, he says. But I want to say, if the Corinthians were right, and there was no resurrection, then it means that Christ is dead. It means preaching is pointless, and Christians are pitiful. Suffering is totally empty, and worldly comfort is everything. But Christ has been raised from the dead. What does that mean? It means preaching is powerful. Christians are the most significant and dangerous people in the world. And suffering right now is achieving for you a weight of glory beyond all comparison. Worldly comfort, just a drop in the ocean compared to eternal riches. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, your life is far from pointless. If we as Freedom Church can live with this perspective, I want to suggest that we will stop chasing the idols of this world. We will stop chasing for comfort and for self. And I just want to say about this series, we've got, this is the second session out of four. As we go through this series, I feel like God is going to bring mustard seeds of faith where you're actually struggling to believe. Okay? I think, honestly, for some of us here, I guess that believing Jesus rose from the dead may not even be a huge problem, but believing you personally will have a resurrection body is challenging. I want to say this morning, God is not wanting to condemn you at all. He's not wanting to condemn you if there is anxiety over that future hope. If there's doubt, I believe he's wanting to bring faith, okay? He's wanting to bring faith. As we look at this series and we look at what he's done, faith is going to appear where there wasn't. He's wanting to set you free with his truth and his faith. I'm just going to end with this verse. Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible 